Hey everyone, we're continuing our exploration of God at work in Canadian cities. I'm your host, Kevin Rogers, and you're listening to Sidewalk Skyline Podcast. At the Our City Toronto conference earlier this year, uh, Brian Yu spoke. Brian's been with the Tyndale Intercultural Ministries Centre for more than five years, where he serves as a qualified administrator of the Intercultural Development Inventory. He coaches and facilitates intercultural learning for individuals, teams, and organizations. Brian's also been serving as a pastor for over 14 years and is currently one of the lead pastors at the Change Community Church in Scarborough. He's also executive director of Flow Ministries, a faith-based charitable organization serving a subsidized community housing neighborhood in York Region. Let's go to his session right now. This is Brian Yu. Okay, well, welcome everybody. Uh, Hopefully you're at the right workshop. Uh, Intercultural competency training for ministry. A little bit about myself, my name is Brian. And uh, in my capacity here today, I'll be serving uh, uh, you guys through my work at the Tyndale Intercultural Ministry Center uh, and I serve as an intercultural leadership consultant there. been doing that for six years now. At the same time, I am part of a church plant. I'm a lead pastor at a church plant in Scarborough. Uh, and so if you happen to be in church planting, I get you. You're my people. And uh, we started our church plant called the Change Community Church about six years ago. I don't get paid for that, so there's no, no money in church planting, not yet at least. <laughs> and finally, I serve at a ministry called Flow Ministries, which is a uh, Christian charity up in York Region, where we bring Jesus and practical care services to a low-income subsidized housing neighborhood in York Region, in Markham in particular, where I live. And with Flow, I've been doing that for now two and a half years. Let me share with you a little bit about um, my work at the Tim Center. Our vision is to see the church from all nations bring Christ to all nations. Some of you may know my previous director, Dr. Robert Cousins. I'm sure Godfrey, you know. You know Dr. Robert. And he often said that... um, The church is now at our doorsteps. It's right here. Um, And people from all over the world, the nations are now here um, in the city, right at our doorsteps. So you don't have to go abroad to go and share the gospel to different nations. They're right over here. Um, And to that end, our department acts as a catalyst to mobilize the intercultural Christian faith community towards a more intentional and effective engagement in local and global missions. And so this workshop is part of helping you navigate the intercultural context that we find ourselves here in Canada. So I'm curious, how diverse is your particular ministry? Some of you might be part of a church or organization where your staff or leadership is diverse. How many of you have a diverse and uh, multicultural leadership and staff, you're part of that. I know what that's like. I'm a church planter. I've got nine people on my core team. 
And amongst those nine people, seven of us come from seven different countries. Seven out of nine. Very multicultural. Some of you have volunteers in your organization or church that are from various parts of the world. How many of you have volunteers in your church, your context, your community? Congregation members that are from all over the world as well. And of course, the community which you serve in, or you bring Jesus to, do practical care, um, that of course is very diverse. We're gonna talk a little bit more about our Toronto context in just a moment. But I've had the privilege of sharing the gospel, having spiritual conversations with people from all over the world. People, people from Pakistan, India, Jamaica, um, Iran, all of the world got to share the gospel with them. So it's no secret that our landscape is very multicultural here in Toronto. Um, today we're going to talk a little bit about intercultural competency and skill and how we use that in situations like this so we can better understand the ministry context and better be able to serve the people um, who are from a different culture than we are. Why is this conversation important? I'm going to present four reasons why the conversation around intercultural competency is really important for us to um, take note of. The first is, there's a biblical rationale for intercultural competency. When we think about what God did in Genesis, he created humankind, and from there he said, I want you to go and be fruitful, I want you to multiply, and I want you to inhabit the world. Now, what happens when people scatter and do what God called them to do, which is to go and inhabit the world? Well, naturally, people groups form. They've got a shared history, shared experiences, shared language, shared customs. This naturally happens when people scatter and they do the mandate that God called us to do, which is to go and inhabit the world. Now we get to Genesis chapter 3, and sin enters the picture. Notice one of the things that the people decide to do. Let's gather in one place, let's become one people with one common language against what the Lord had called humankind to do, which is go and inhabit, inhabit the world, scatter. Tower of Babel. What does God do? Really interesting. He expedites the process of multiculturalism by confusing the language. And from there, people scatter to get on track with what God had called people to do, which is to go and inhabit the world. Jesus comes into the picture, reconciling ourselves with the Lord, with God, and reconciling us with each other. And we find in the book of Revelation, people from all kinds of tribes and tongues and nations, all worshiping God together. So there's a biblical reason why this conversation on multiculturalism, 
Diversity is important. God celebrates multiculturalism. A second reason why this is important. I can only get my clicker to work properly. Okay, there we go, but no idea why it just moves so much. Um, the growing reality of our intercultural and multicultural landscape that we live in. We work, we live, we play in a very multicultural setting. Your workplaces are multicultural. Your churches are multicultural. Your neighborhoods that you live in are multicultural. Look at this um, headline from the Toronto Star that says, Toronto is now majority visible minority. What about your neighborhood? A few statistics to take a look at. The population of Toronto is about 2.8 million people, Toronto proper. And you've got over 200 different languages and dialects spoken in this city. Every year, about 55,000 new immigrants come to Canada. This is where I got the, the 60,000 a while ago because I thought that's what they were aiming for. Um, EJ said they were aiming, they, Canada tries to aim for 400,000 people per year. Per year. We, can, we can't receive 400,000 people. That would um, uh, cripple our systems. But 55,000 come to Canada each year and about 20% of that, 11,000, settle in Toronto. As that headline showed a while ago, 51% of those living in Toronto are now visible minority. And the same statistic, about 51% of people in Toronto born outside of Canada. I'm curious, who's born outside of Canada here? Do we have people born outside of Canada, right? Are we almost 50% here? Pretty close, pretty close, right? Eh? Pretty close to 50%. So if you meet somebody here in Toronto, there's a 50% chance that that person wasn't born here in Canada. Growing reality of the intercultural nature of our city. If you want a barometer to see how diverse your neighborhood is, there's two places you can look at. One, your schools. Look at your schools and you can see how multicultural your part of the neighborhood is. And the second is your grocery store. You can see how multicultural your neighborhood is. A third reason. I'm not sure why it does that. It just really stops all of a sudden. Uh, yeah, maybe, am I able to get the mouse to come up forward? I don't know. I don't want you to stand there it's all okay, day. It's okay, it's okay. <laughs> Just say next slide. Servant heart. <laughs> but which is funny because I can move it now. But <laughs> When you can. If I see a struggle, I'll, I'll advance. Pastor Godfrey's your antenna. <laughs> That's right. It, he's the reason. <laughs> this is happening. <laughs> okay. 
Um, the discussion and conversation around conflict, equity, and reconciliation, conversation around conflict and racial injustice have come to the forefront. We know this, we see this in the news, social media, Black Lives Matter down in the United States, here in Canada as well. Did you know that Asian hate crimes are up? Asian hate is up 600% in Vancouver. 600% compared to pre-pandemic years, anti-Asian hate. Um, of course, we've got the discovery of unmarked graves in residential schools, the slow progress in the 94 calls to action in the Truth and Reconciliation Commission. And we're dealing with Canada's own history of discrimination, the Chinese head tax, Japanese internment in World War II. Africville in Nova Scotia and unfair immigration policies. A growing reality that still exists, prejudice in our cities, in our neighborhoods, from avoidance to the use of particular language and slurs and jokes, to outright discrimination violence and attack, all the way to genocide. Our conference is coming off the heels of what happened in Buffalo, which is um, violence, prejudice. Okay, one more reason. So we've got the biblical reason. We've got the growing reality of the multicultural landscape that we live in, discussion around conflict, equity, and reconciliation. And lastly, increasing productivity and performance when it comes to multicultural teams. Let me show a quick graph here that I'm not going to explain all of it, but I want you to notice a couple of things. First off, if you are part of a monocultural team that's you know made up of people from the you know, same ethnic background, Performance is pretty good. You can see performance right at the bottom. Performance is pretty good. If you're part of a multicultural team, people made up from different ethnic backgrounds, performance can go two ways. It can outperform monocultural teams. At the same time, your multicultural team can also be underperforming as well. What's the difference? It's how you treat diversity in your team. For underperforming teams, leaders ignore and suppress cultural differences. Cultural differences become an obstacle to performance. It's not celebrated. It's not welcomed. They don't work well together. But if you're part of a multicultural team that is performing really well, chances are it's because leaders acknowledge and support cultural differences. And here's the key word, cultural differences become an asset, an asset to performance. Not a hindrance to it, not an obstacle, but an asset to performance. So talking about um, intercultural competency, multicultural nature of things, it's important 
for performance when it comes to teams. Especially if you find yourself in a team organization that is multicultural in nature. Um, what are some unique intercultural experiences that have come out of your groups? I'm curious. You don't have to explain the whole thing, but anything unique um, that came out of your groups? Intercultural experiences, issues that you're facing? Go ahead. Well, one of the things that we were talking about, um, uh, I, I guess two main issues that we were talking about, is one, when, what happens when the, uh, the demographic or the cultural realities around your church change and the people inside the church don't? So that was one that, that we had kind of reflected in our group. And then the other one is what happens when, um, when the older people, generations in the congregation, like older people and younger people in the congregation, even though they're culturally the same, uh, what if they think differently about multiculturalism and, and trying to be attractive to other cultures? So these are things to right. be wrestled with. But that, that, that dynamic itself is also uh, an intercultural dynamic, right? One person from one generation, their I, you know, cultural nuances are different from a person from another generation as well. So there's a couple of complex yeah, yeah. stuff happening there, yeah. right? Um, other examples of um, intercultural experiences and issues um, that, that you're facing one of the things that, that we discussed was how in some circles it can be a trendy thing to be diverse, right? And that's a big topic, like you just yes. mentioned in your previous yeah. stream. Um, but that there's a difference be between being, hey, there's 40 nations represented here, but how many are actually becoming intercultural, where you're actually yes. doing life with people of other cultures right. where they're around my dinner table, my kids are yes. playing with them on right. the playground. That's different. And yeah. so sometimes we hide behind this, look at us, we're diverse, yes. but really, are you doing life together? Yeah, so I, I hear two things that you point out. The first is, um, it's very trendy, <laughs> trendy to be diverse, but a lot of our churches are not right. diverse. There may be a desire to become multicultural, but I'll tell you, it's very difficult. I know a lot of churches that are monocultural in pretty much their context at their church. There's a desire to become multicultural, and you know, you're moving mountains to try to get there. The second is, even if you are multicultural in nature um, and diverse, how do you become inclusive, right? Where, ev where everything is celebrated, people are participating, you're united, um, connections and friendship is being built in that type of environment, yeah. Complex issues, we don't have time today to deal with that. That's a whole course, that, that's an entire, that's probably an entire degree. <laughs> this is only an overview today. <laughs> um, so I'm curious, any other um, intercultural, multicultural um, context experiences that um, you're facing? Feel free to chime in, or maybe one more. Yeah, Brian, go ahead. Can you just explain to them what monocultural constructs means? Uh, some people don't know what that technical term is. Yeah, so, well, th with your group, right, um, monoculture would be everybody's got a shared culture, shared customs, maybe even shared language, perhaps shared religion. We'll talk about culture in just a moment, but it's something shared, right? And so the monocultural nature of things is, right, that there's just one. 
Multicultural is when there's multiple coming together in a group. They don't necessarily, uh, under, necessarily understand each other, just yet, but they're coming together. So some of your churches might be multicultural in nature. You've got people from different parts of the world. They have different experiences from each other and the members, uh, from other members, and you've got a multicultural group coming together. I wonder if I understood that. <laughs> anyway, yeah, there you go. Any other questions, just in case, but any other insights on some of the experiences that you're facing? How many of you, curious, you know, just out of curiosity, has married somebody from a different part of the world than you are? Okay, right? Kind of, right? Um, growing reality of um, our context. I myself married somebody from Mauritius. Mauritius is in Africa. Um, it's in the middle of the Indian Ocean. No idea where it was until I met my wife. Right? A whole intercultural experience <laughs> right there. What is culture? So one of the questions that we often get at the Tim Center is what is the difference between race ethnicity, and culture. There's nuances to the words that, that are used, but at the same time, of course, there is some overlap between them. Race is an attempt to categorize people based primarily on physical features. Skin tone, shape of the eyes, nose. So physical features. And centuries ago, there were theories around race and superiority based on race. So there, was, there were theories that would say that um, depending on a person's race, there were biological features that were better or considered worse. Today, science and research has debunked that. Genetics have shown that <coughs> doesn't matter which race you're a part of, that we are more alike than we are different. The second word is ethnicity. And ethnicity is a social grouping based on common, certain common things. Common language, common customs, having a shared history, shared place or location. Um, uh, shared culture, and even shared religion. It's often said that race is something that is ascribed upon you. You really can't change your physical features. While ethnicity is something that you self-ascribe to as belonging to. Because you share this in common with other people. And then lastly, Culture is a bit broader, so you talk about different types of culture, workplace culture, culture de depending on which region of the world that you live in, um, generational culture. But culture is learned behavior based on the groups that you self-ascribe to as belonging to. So it's not just about nationality, that, that can be a part of it, or ethnicity, that certainly can be a part of it, but it goes much broader, much beyond that. Um, like for example, um, we're all in Canada. Um, there's a national culture, but within Canada itself, there are pockets of culture. A person from Alberta is 
very different in terms of certain cultural nuances from a person who is in Quebec. Right? There's differences, regional. Um, there are certain cultural aspects and attributes that come out of social classes, right? That being part of a social class. Um, generation. Uh, a boomer culturally is different from a millennial. And places of work, depending on where you work, you can have a particular workplace culture. And when it comes to culture, there's things that you can see, and there are things that are not readily visible, not readily observable. You've got surface culture that you can observe quite readily. Then you've got a deeper culture, stuff that's happening behind the scenes that you might be able to pick up on if you have some experience with that other culture. And then you've got even deeper culture that you can only pick up on if you're really immersed in that other culture. Here's some examples. Surface, surface culture. The easiest one is food, right? Different ethnic groups have different types of food. And we can readily pick that up. Flags, festivals, fashion sense, um, arts and crafts, and language. Music. Music is a big one. Yeah. All readily visible. But there's stuff that happens below the surface that's not readily observable. It takes a little bit more experience, conversation, to figure out, to understand, such as communication styles, facial expressions, gestures, the tone of voice. Even deeper, concepts like time, class, family. And go even deeper, which is really hard to, um, to understand unless you're really immersed in that culture. Marriage, courtship, how they raise children, how they make decisions, religion. So where does culture fit in to the human person? We have certain attributes and behavior that applies to pretty much all of us. Universal um, behaviors, universal attributes, such as we all eat, we all sleep, we all love, bleed, and we all die. At the same time, there are certain things that only apply pretty much to you. Personal attributes and behaviors such as your family of origin. Very few people share your family. Your personality is quite unique. Here's where culture fits in, where you identify with a group. Not all of humanity shares things um, with you on a, on, a, on a cultural level, and you're not also by yourself, individual. Group identity such as language, history, and social values. So here's where culture fits in. Being part of a group with a shared identity. 
shared history, shared customs. I really like this quote from Craig Storty in his book, Figuring Foreigners Out, which kind of showcases where culture fits in to the human person. Each of us is like everybody else in some ways. Universal behaviors. Like the people in our culture in some other ways. Cultural behaviors. And like no one else at all in still other ways. Or personal behaviors. Okay, quick rundown on culture for today. But where does intercultural competency come, uh, come in? So this gentleman over here mentioned a while ago, diverse places, diverse environments, diverse organizations, diverse teams. It's a reality for us today. We want to take that diversity and make it inclusive. Here's where intercultural competency comes in. It's what bridges the gap between diversity and inclusion. Intercultural competence is the link between diversity and inclusion. It is how we make a diverse environment an inclusive one. So that skill is important to bring a diverse environment, a diverse workplace, a diverse team, and get people working together, united on the same goals, same mission, same vision, getting them to build friendships and relationships with each other. Intercultural competence is what you'll need to bring diversity, uh, to make a diverse environment an inclusive one in the end. So let me present to you the main tool that we use in our department, the main framework that we use at the Tim Center. And this is called the Intercultural Development Continuum from Intercultural Development Inventory, in particular, Dr. Uh, Mitchell Hammer. Now, what this, uh, this continuum does it is, is it helps you understand how you respond when you meet cultural differences. Because that's what happens, right? You're from one part of the world, you're, you know, you're from one ethnic group or even one generation, all that cultural nuance. You meet somebody who is from a different part of the world, who is from a different generation. Um, how do you respond to that cultural difference that you're facing? And there are five ways to respond based on the continuum. And you can take an assessment, which I'll introduce a little bit later, but you can take an assessment to bring self-awareness to yourself so that you know how you're responding in intercultural situations, especially when there is difference and when there is conflict. On the leftmost part of the scale, we've got the first orientation called denial. And at denial, you miss the difference. You miss the difference. So a person at denial is not even aware that other cultures do things differently than them. And that could be for various reasons. Maybe there's a lack of exposure, a lack of experience, lack 
of training, maybe even where they live in the world. They could live in a part of the world where they only interact with their own culture. And so it kind of makes sense that they're not aware that other cultures do things differently, behave differently, speak differently, see time differently, deal with conflict differently. Just not aware. That's called denial. The second orientation is called polarization. A person at polarization understands that there is a difference. I know that the way I do things in my culture is different from the way other people would do things in their particular culture. They're aware of that. But at polarization, there's a judgment made, a value judgment. Usually it goes like this. They favor how things are done in their culture, and they're more critical of how other people in other cultures do things. Or it could also be the other way around. They favor how other cultures do things, and they're more critical of how their culture does things. So polarization. Now these two orientations are part of a monocultural mindset. There's, so there's a little bit of underdevelopment there when it comes to intercultural engagement and, uh, and development. Minimization is the starting point of an intercultural mindset. It's the easiest thing to do. So a person at minimization, they're aware that there are differences between my culture and other people's culture, but they de-emphasize that difference. Perhaps they don't know what to do about it. Perhaps there's not enough information, not enough experience, not enough conversation. So they're like, I don't know what to do about this. At least for the time being, the easiest thing for me to do is to de-emphasize the difference, but instead will emphasize commonality, common principles, common values. But there's a de-emphasis of differences, at least for the time being, because we don't know what to do about that yet. Not enough information not enough experience. But that's the easiest thing to do to become, uh, to become intercultural in terms of your thinking. Right? Because you still want to bridge the gap between other people. You still want to work together as a team. So let's emphasize then commonality so that we can get the job done. The fourth orientation is called acceptance deeply comprehending the difference. So you're aware that there's a difference between how other cultures do things and the way your culture does things. But now I have more information. I've done some research. I've um, had more conversations. I've got some experience. I'm a bit immersed in, sort of in that culture to understand certain nuances. And here's the key word with acceptance. I can now appreciate what's going on. I can appreciate what's going on behind the scenes. I can appreciate why they behave in a particular way, why they make decisions like this, why they speak like this, why they behave in a particular way. And I can appreciate that. This is different from polarization, right? Because polarization, there's a value judgment placed upon how other cultures do things or even how your culture does things. At acceptance, you can now just appreciate that there's something beautiful about that. And then finally, on the farthest end of the spectrum, 
You've got adaptation. Bridges across differences. And so a person who is at adaptation is able to change their behavior in culturally appropriate and uh, uh, ethically appropriate ways. So they're able to change the behavior depending on the context that they find themselves in. Adaptation being the hardest to get to. We've done hundreds of these assessments that I'll share with you a little bit later. And among the respondents, only about 2% of respondents fall into adaptation. I'm not even at adaptation if I take the test. <laughs> now, a quick note about the continuum. Even though some of the um, labeling sounds negative, there are no value judgments placed on any of the orientations. And it kind of sounds negative to be in denial or polarization or minimization. These are simple, simply labels to help identify what's happening within that particular orientation. But it's not necessarily wrong to be in denial. In fact, a person finds themselves on any part of the scale depending on the amount of experience they've had or the lack of experience, the amount of opportunity um, they have to engage with other cultures or the lack of opportunity for that, the amount of training or the lack of training, amount of education, lack of education. Did you have a question? Sorry. Yeah, I did. I didn't know, but I don't want yeah, to... Yeah, go ahead. No, no. I was going to ask for questions. Very, yeah. <laughs> okay. All right. So in, in terms of this, I like the way it's laid out. Is this kind of done um, per, per culture that you're exposed to? Because you could be further along yes. and accept one culture, but still be in a denial about another. So how do you, how do you deal with that? Excellent. So with our, with our department, what, what we do is we look at culture based on uh, country of origin, ethnicity. So that's pretty much what we do. So we help churches navigate the intercultural nature of things because of the various ethnic groups that have come there. Um, so when you do take the assessment, you'll be asked to look at only one. Because you can look at workplace culture as an example and kind of use this as well, right? Like, oh yeah, when I meet somebody from a different department in my workplace, well, this, their culture is very different from our culture here at marketing, and you've got um, people from uh, sales, whatever, right? You've got different cultures, so you can use that for this particular purpose as well. Yeah, so when you do the assessment, you'll be looking at one particular cultural instance, and usually we tell people for ours, look at um, ethnic culture is what we want to get at. But yeah, you're right. So. In workplace culture, you're like, oh yeah, I'm stellar, I'm at adaptation. I go from sales to marketing, no problem. But when it comes to <laughs> ethnic culture and your church, right, and engaging with people who are from different uh, parts of the world, you might be lower on the spectrum. Very good question, yeah. yeah. So this can be applied generally to all types of um, uh, cultural contexts. Um, but the one that we're most interested at the Tyndale Culture Ministry Center has uh, is culture driven by ethnicity. Great question. Any other questions? Yeah, go ahead. Uh, I know you guys have done uh, ass assessments of work with church groups. Yeah. This one, I was wondering if you're able to share sure. certain patterns uh, that your department has observed through your work. Sure. Um, so a couple of things. Well, What's really interesting, uh, based on the scale here, um, our average is at minimization. 
That kind of makes sense. That's pretty much North America. Um, and because the easiest thing to do is um, find commonality and not deal with the differences yet. I mean, Canada's like that, right? Right, you hear your politicians and they're like, let's emphasize commonality, because I don't know what to do, but don't we all value freedom and liberty and trusting each other, we're all human beings. Let's just, let's just rally together, right? Um, and so we also find that in, in churches, the um, majority, well, I wouldn't say majority, but, um, the average score is at minimization. What's interesting, though, um, is that we do get a fair amount of polarization happening at churches. Um, and we've seen churches where you have half the group at minimization and half the group at polarization. So quite a large number of people. Now, um, we've, so the, pl the places where that tends to happen <laughs> would be really interesting. Usually it happens in Chinese churches. <laughs> I don't know why, but usually I just want to single you guys out. Not your church, because you haven't done the IDI with us. So I'm not saying that your church is like that, right? Especially when um, it's trilingual, right? You got, I don't know if your church is like that, Mandarin, Cantonese, English. And there's an attempt to work together. When there's an attempt to work together, there's not enough relationship building that has happened within your trilingual community, right? And so you're, oh, they're constantly butting heads with each other, and so that's why there's, polar, there's a lot of polarization happening or going on, right? Um, if you are in a church that is multicultural, like um, in the sense that you've got people from various ethnic groups, there's a, more of a tendency to see minimization happening. Um, and you'll uh, try to emphasize a lot of commonalities like we're all believers in Jesus. Let's work with that. We all, we all read the Bible. We can use this as our base, right? <laughs> yeah, so hopefully I answered a little bit of that question. Yeah, go ahead, please. Um, I just wanted to ask you your personal example. Um, you're married to a Christian woman. Yep. Um, I'm wondering if you have gone through any kind of stages and do you know if these are addressed in Yeah, yeah, great question. So I, I can only answer anecdotally for, for um, that I have met a few marriage counselors that said, I need to incorporate this. So they're not incorporating it, at least the, the, the marriage counselors that I know, they're not incorporating this. But I think that's a really important, you know, a really important thing, especially if you, you're about to marry somebody from a different culture or cultural background, right? I think they should incorporate some of this. And um, usually people ask me, you know, they're at minimization. Maybe, maybe once in a while I'll find somebody who's at acceptance. And they'll ask me, how do I go from minimization to adaptation? And where do I start? And I usually tell people, you know, to answer part of your question, um, who's important to you in terms of your relationships? Because that's probably where you want to begin to venture into acceptance and adaptation. So with my wife, a lot of minimization at the beginning, right? Because I don't want her to know that our cultures are different, right? And you know, she sees things differently, and her jokes are different, and my jokes are different. 
But I don't want that you know, to be the reason we don't end up together, right? It's a lot of minimization. Now we're married three years, we, we, have, we have a son together, right? And I'm like, well, that's not enough for me, right? I think I want to get to accept, I want to be able to appreciate certain aspects of her culture. And I also want to uh, be, be adapt, you know, to, to adapt. I've not had a lot of opportunity because her, her family, her, my in-laws are still in Mauritius. I've not had a lot of opportunity for that. But if they were living here in Canada, I would like to do that. I would like to venture and move towards that. Um, you had a second question that I didn't um, pick up real quick. That was, oh, about the marriage council, yeah. Yeah, I'll share one example right after this. I'll share a, a, an example of me going through the whole spectrum. <laughs> okay, I'll, I'll share one example real quick. Yeah, great. Any other, just in case, any other questions? Well, you might have a question right after I go through my, yeah. my example. And, 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 and again, not to labor the point, but um, in terms of being a pastor at a multicultural church, particularly the church I was at before here. Yeah. Uh, you know, you think that everything is going well in a multicultural context until a relationship establishes. And then you find <laughs> out what people really feel about yes. it. I, I remember having a father, and I won't tell you what cultures were involved, but I remember having a father come to me and say, Pastor Godfrey, you need to tell my daughter that she should not date him. Why? Not because... You know, he wasn't a nice guy, but because he was of a different background of her. And yep. so, and he was adamant. Like, it was, yes. it, it was things. And so what seems like a calm situation uh, really comes to head once, uh, you know, yes. young people fall in love. And then you see how, <laughs> what, the, what the nature of your community really is. That's right. <laughs> um, when it happens to people closest to you. Yeah. Right, um, and a lot of you know, I, I, at least anecdotally, observing wise, right? Like, in a lot of our churches, the relationships may not be deep enough for um, some of the you know for this to be revealed, right? Like, there's a probably a lot of minimization, but but when the relationships become closer then you can really see, oh yeah, there's some polarization going on here. And you'd be surprised by how many uh, people at your church, because we've got some data, I don't have the exact numbers, but you have people at your church who are at denial and polarization. Um, and your pastor might be at minimization. <laughs> right? But you got people who are at polarization. But here's the thing, they don't know that. There's a lack of awareness, right? And so what we're trying to do with our department, right, is we're trying to bring in more awareness because if you're not aware, then you don't know how to grow from there, how to develop from there. So just a lack of awareness. So we use this tool mainly to bring about awareness. Now, what's really also interesting is that certain people will think that they're on a part of the scale and you probably have a 95% chance of being wrong. Most people that we do the assessment with, so with the assessment will gauge two things. It'll gauge your perception, where you think you are in terms of intercultural engagement, responding to conflict and things like that. Um, it will gauge your perception, and then it will gauge your actual behavior. And most people, like I would say 95, 98% of the time, 
they've overestimated their skills, their intercultural skills. Say that again. <laughs> Say it <that> again, brother. <laughs> You're overestimating. <laughs> right? Most people are overestimating their intercultural skills. Okay, so let me give an example, and then maybe we have more questions. Okay. Uh, I've got some friends who are from a part of the world where they see time very differently than I do. I see time as very linear, very structured, um, very Western, I, I suppose. Um, and then I've got friends who see time as very fluid, time as flexible. Now, there was a time in my life that I didn't know that that was a thing because I'd never met these people. They were, you know, I didn't, I've never met anybody from that part of the world. And so for the longest time, I was in denial. Everybody sees time the way that I do. Kind of makes sense. <laughs> then I meet these people. And they would invite me to their birthday party. <laughs> and they would say, Brian, birthday party. Six o'clock. <laughs> Sounds good to me. I'll be there. And I'm there at 5.55. Right? Because I want a head start on the party. Six o'clock shows up and nobody's there. Not even the person. Not even the person who invited me. His birthday. His birthday party. Nobody, nobody there. For the longest time, I was at polarization. The way you see time is absolute garbage. <laughs> right? Time is time. Right? Six o'clock is six o'clock. People would stroll in, 6.30, 7 o'clock. No apologies, just do it, right? No apologies. <laughs> so for the longest time, I was at polarization. Didn't know what to do about it. Um, but I had a value judgment on that, right? I judged it, and I favored my perspective of time. Now, because we're at a party, I still want to make friends. I don't want to be slumping at the party and be like, oh, you guys came in an hour late. I'm not here to make friends anymore. I still want to be friends with people, build relationships, make connections. So what would I do? I won't talk about the time issue, right? Because that's not going to help my chances of being friends with these people. <laughs> What's going to help is if we find commonality, right? Minimization. Emphasizing commonality, de-emphasizing differences. And so we'll talk about sports or hobbies. If they're believers in Jesus, we can talk about Christ and all of that, right? Minimization. As I got to know these friends better, I realized they're not out to get me. There's something in their culture that enables them to have this type of perspective. There's something in their upbringing, something in their home country, where they see time differently than I do. You see time as flexible. I see time as very appointment-based, start, end. While they see things as, you know, I could just show up at a person's home, spend two hours with them, and it's all good. It's all great. And as I got more information, had more conversations, had more birthday parties, I began to appreciate that there's something, yeah, that there's something beautiful about 
the way they see time too. But I can only get to appreciating that if I have more information, more knowledge, more conversation, more experience with that cultural group. And I can see something beautiful about having a more fluid way of seeing time and seeing relationships in this particular way. Now, here's the hard part, and this is why I don't score at adaptation. <laughs> if I really want to be at adaptation, here's what needs to take place. The next time I'm invited to a birthday party, I'm strolling in late, and I'll feel good about it. <laughs> right? Adaptation. Okay, so um, this is the main uh, framework that we use. Um, I know my time's almost up. I'm all, already pretty much done. But I wonder if there are any final questions or insights about um, the IDC or anything that we've talked about today. Um, some of you are like, okay, where do I go? Right? Um, first, you need to know where you are right, in the continuum. And a little bit later, I'll, I'll share with you how you can get assessed so that you know where you are in the continuum. And then from there, we'll give you ideas in terms of where to go. But the main thing would be um, a lot of self-reflection, because we don't do a lot of reflection when we encounter folks. Um, and um, a lot of, just a lot more experience with the other cultures. Um, and starting with minimization, right? Because minimization is the easiest thing to do. Sorry, you had a question? Did you, um, anybody have a question? Sorry. Uh, I was just going to ask, like, yeah. do you find there's certain things that make it hard to move along the continuum? Yeah. Um, I would say one of the, the, the difficult things would be if you have a lot of transitions in your life. So you're not able to um, meet with people on a regular basis from this culture. And so you're always having to transition. I think that would be one key reason why it would be very difficult to move along the scale. Uh, the second is just a lack of awareness. So um, in order to move on the scale, there has to be some form of intentionality. Like, okay, when I encounter this context, I'm going to be intentional about practicing some minimization strategies, right? Or some um, acceptance strategies or some uh, adaptation strategies. But if there's no intentionality, Right? It's going to be really hard to move, on the scale, uh, move along the scale. Um, and, and then a third thing is you can actually go backwards on the scale. So if you experience certain things in your life that are negative, right, in terms of um, engaging with uh, other cultures, and you find that really negative, you can close off. Like, oh, this was a really bad experience, right? And you may go uh, move uh, back on the scale. If you're at minimization, you might end up at polarization. Right, because of those negative experiences. And we have a lot of negative experiences happening in our world today. <laughs> yeah. Okay, I don't want to leave without... Hey, uh, I'm doing, she's on our team at the Tim Center as well. She'll be doing the grant writing. Um, okay, one quick... Oh, I forgot I wasn't supposed to use this. Okay, one quick... Um, one last slide. My email is at the bottom. If you want to get assessed, um, we use the Intercultural Development Inventory. It's an online assessment tool. Um, you'll receive a full report of your results. You'll get 30 to 45 minutes uh, with uh, an IDI qualified administrator. I'm an, I'm an example of an IDI qualified administrator. And an intercultural development plan to help build your intercultural skills. 
So grab my email if you're interested. Now, one caveat though, it does have a price, um, and the price with our department is $200 for this. Now here's what I will say though, depending on your context in ministry, you might be funded by another organization. So Converge Canada would be an example with Cheryl who was here a while ago. She helps fund church planters or people in church planting settings, right, to take the assessment. And we have other organizations similar to that helping to fund this. But the only way to find out is if you send me an email, let me know your ministry context and you might qualify for funding under one of our uh, partnerships with one of our organizations, okay? Second thing is if, you have, if you're part of an organization or you're a leader of a team and you want intercultural training, right, send me an email again and we can arrange and prepare something for your team, okay? So grab my email so that you have that information. I'll put that up there right now. Okay, our time's up. It's 3 o'clock. Can you believe that? Okay. Thank you, Brian. You're welcome. You're welcome. And that was Brian Yu. Uh, Brian is uh, working with Tyndale University at the TIM Center, which is the Tyndale Intercultural Ministries Center. And uh, part of his role there is an administrator of the IDI. The IDI is the Intercultural Development Inventory. So if you want to learn more about intercultural um, assessment and, and intercultural ministry, uh, check out the links. Uh, on the uh, show, on the notes uh, for this episode at sidewalkskylinepodcast.com. Well, we have another guest coming on the next episode, also from the Tim Center, and that person is Andrea Chang. She works part-time for the Tim Center as an assistant leadership consultant, where her role includes research, grant writing, and an intercultural as an intercultural development facilitator. Uh, she's assisted churches and organizations in navigating the grant writing process for their respective projects. Uh, there's a lot of resources available in Canada. And uh, if you want to impact your community, uh, you, you, she can help you find dollars and, and know how to write a good proposal. And that's a valuable tool. So we're going to go in, in depth on the next session, Grant Writing 101 and uh, give you some real food for thought about uh, why you might want to consider applying for some grants and how you want to present yourself in order to be a successful uh, grant recipient. Well, that's all we have for this episode. So until next time, I'm your host, Kevin Rogers, and you've been listening to Sidewalk Skyline Podcast.